Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harrison. Tonight, we're going to break down Los Angeles Rams' 24-3 victory over New England Patriots and go over some key injuries to watch ahead of Sunday. So, happy fantasy playoffs, everybody. We have made it here. Long track, but not over yet. Got to try to bring home that championship gold. But first, we need to break down what just happened here on Thursday night. Rams were pretty dominant in this one. I mean, they went right down the field on the first drive of the game, and that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the game because it was just the Cam Akers show. Like, okay, they got some help. Cam threw a pick six on a screen that, you know, at first glance looked like he just overthrew it. But second glance, you saw Aaron Donald actually did a pretty good job holding him down. You know, we're still going to go a bad pass there. Cam hardly earned the benefit out of the doubt with much tonight. But uh, just noting that, you know, Aaron Donald, the freaking amazing Aaron Donald, the you know best defensive player in the league, certainly had something to do with that. Uh, Patriots, yeah, they just couldn't really get anything going. They were able to move the ball down inside the five-yard line, but Cam got stuffed on back-to-back QB keepers. They also had a chance at a short field after they were able to intercept uh, Jared Goff on just an awful throw behind uh, Robert Woods. It hit him in the hands, but just put it on him, bro. He's open. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, they had some opportunities in the first half to keep it close, but just couldn't do so, and then down multiple scores. In the second half, I mean, it was 24-3, to about uh, 10 minutes in the third quarter. Things just never really turned around for him. So Cam Newton, you know, was pretty much the scapegoat for the performance, and deservingly so. I mean, 9 for 16, 119 yards, no touchdowns, that aforementioned pick on the screen, and four sacks. Just pretty freaking far from the best performance we've seen from Cam Newton this year. Also, seven carries, just 16 rushing yards. So look, Cam... Told you on the game on game breakdown process uh, or uh, episode of the podcast, we have a Dwayne this week. And, you know, the, the advice was simple like, do not play anybody on the Patriots. Just realize, you know, this was a worst case scenario matchup. The Rams have been the, pretty much the league's best defense uh, behind maybe only the Steelers all season long. And particularly, you look at just the past few months, it has been the Rams just in terms of raw EPA per play. So, I mean, this was not an easy matchup. We knew this was not going to be an easy matchup. Uh, certainly, we hope for more than three total points from the offense. But just realize, you know, Cam, he's someone that we rely on as a fantasy asset because of his rushing ability and his ability to score touchdowns when you're facing Aaron Donald and a team that's going to be able to hold your offense just a complete check like that this is going to be a little bit tougher to come by so Jared Stidham did replace Cam with about 10 minutes ago in the fourth quarter 5 for 7 27 yards with two sacks himself did not look any better out there so look it you know it was concerning seeing Cam try to move the ball through the air he made exactly three good throws he had a 25 yarder uh, to Demir Bird 31 yard to Kobe Myers and then a lofted one down the sidelines to Nikhil Harry for 30 yards like it's not that he just was completely incapable of throwing the ball throughout this game, but it's never easy. That wind up, you know, we saw a fumble uh, mixing in there, even though he was able to get back on it. I mean, just everything has been so difficult in this offense and not just on cam. I mean, this offensive line was atrocious in this one. He hardly had any time and the receivers weren't really getting open, but it's a combination of a lot of factors and cam as a passer certainly hasn't helped matters uh, throughout this season. So you look at the running backs from the Patriots, Damon Harris, 11 carries 50 yards. He got banged up in the fourth quarter. That's going to be something to keep an eye on because if he's out, Sony Michelle looks like he's going to be the next man up in this backfield. Both Sony and uh, Damon Harris. These are unofficial snap counts, but what I'm working with right now, both of them played 22 snaps. Or excuse me, uh, Damon Harris played 22 snaps. Sony played only seven. James White was at 22. The reason why I'm even surprised reading that right now is because Sony had seven carries, James White three, and I mean James White only had uh, two targets in this one. So even in a game where the Patriots were, again, down 24-3 to by the midway point in the third quarter. Even in that sort of negative game script, James White couldn't get the targets. So, hey, with this situation, with this 3-RB backfield, with this passing game that's pretty much broke, I mean, Cam is the only one we can even somewhat consider down the stretch. And, I mean, even then, it's going to be asking a lot of people. I'm looking at their schedule right now. we got the Dolphins in Week 15. That's going to be a no. That's a very good defense that knows exactly how to defend the Patriots, you know, seeing how his floors spent uh, so much time there. And then looking at the Bills in Week 16, that's an 
awfully low floor to be uh, chancing around with Cam Newton or really any of these guys. So honestly, if you have a New England Patriot on your fantasy football roster, they really do not need to be there for the stretch run. Um, moving on to the Los Angeles Rams. Great performance by Cam Akers in this one, truly. I mean, 29 carries, 171 yards, uh, long of 35. He had a bunch of just big, uh, just big, you know, 10 plus yard runs. And he looked good out there. Great balance, you know, going through contact, fresh legs. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to just sound too generic talking about it, but it's like, look, when he was out there, they were giving him holes. He was hitting them and doing his thing. It wasn't like just the most amazing performance. I don't think any other running back in the league could have replicated. But, I mean, you get, you know, over, let's see, with the receiving yards, he had, you know, 190, 194 total yards. Hard to take away too much from the guy. But with that said, you know, no scores. And we just didn't exactly, I don't know, it wasn't like there was one just single run that truly showed him, you know, breaking multiple tackles and having to work out her. It's not his fault. I mean, the Rams just made it pretty easy for him. The offensive line was really dominating from the first drive on. And credit to Akers for finding right holes and doing his thing. So uh, this was surprising to see him dominate the backfield this much. I mean, you know, Daryl Henderson, only two carries. And, you know, we didn't see Malcolm Brown get a single carry. So, you know, the concern, the only concern with Akers coming in this one was that shoulder injury and, and we we're talking on the game by game preview pod about how to treat him the key was just to make sure that he was not listed on the final injury report and he wasn't so he was good to go with this but to see him truly dominate this uh snaps and you know carries and even the pass game work to this extent you know coming off of apparently some sh- sort of shoulder injury i'm sure they didn't just make it up and again it's you know it wasn't just early week rest they literally didn't practice on monday and they decided to still mark him down as a dmp so clearly whatever that's in the past acres is fine he's going to be a freaking bo- I mean with this he's an RB1 moving forward it's it's case closed he freaking dominated the reps in this one to an extent that we haven't seen Rams running back do the entire season 43 snaps for Cam Akers only six for Daryl Henderson and six for Malcolm Brown look we cannot be taking victory laps on Cam Akers everybody and you know I'm, I'm someone that in the summer was pretty high in him to me he seemed like the running back that had the best chance to break out of the muddle committee because you looked at you know Dobbins had Ingram Jonathan Taylor had Marlon Mack and a team that was, you know, just Frank Reich. I mean, we've only seen them do committees. We didn't really know who James Robinson was at that point. You know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, okay, he was looking pretty darn good. But uh, Cam Akers was kind of that second-tier back that we thought might have the best chance at coming up and owning the committee. And he did not do so. It took freaking 14 weeks. If you draft the Cam Akers as his fifth or sixth round running back, I mean, things aren't going good for you. So I'm happy he did good. But just be careful about, you know, f- uh, f- freaking out about calling this a victory lap because, you know, I don't think anyone was out there saying, you know, hey, everyone, this is why you should draft Cam Akers, he's not going to do freaking anything the first 13 weeks of the year, but just you wait until week 14, that's when he's going to turn into a league winner, so, uh, you know, I get it, it's fun to see your guys that you've been tallying doing good, believe me, if Chris Herndon ever scores a touchdown one of these days, I'll be uh, the first one you're going to hear about it from, but, you know, it's all in good fun uh, to some extent, I just, you know, take it easy, everybody, Cam Akers, great game, I'm happy he's got this, I'm happy he's going to have a good uh, playoff stretch down the run, but, I mean, again, if you were one of these people that were just really freaking out about Akers the whole time and drafting them to all your teams i highly doubt all those teams are doing super well right now uh with this passing game yeah jared goff was awful uh when is a win is a win credit to him but i mean 137 yards and 25 attempts as bad as cam newton was he averaged 7.4 yards per attempt goff averaged 5.5 like i said uh cam had exactly three good throws in this one i would give goff i think two he hit cooper cup on a nice touchdown from about four yards out where he had to put it in a perfect spot and he did just that and then also he hit robert woods in the chest on a deep out that would have been a 20-yard gain but he dropped that 
I crunched the numbers, everybody. Even if you give Jared Goff that uh, drop pass by Robert Woods, he still would have had a worse yards per attempt than Cam Newton. So, you know, hey, it, Goff didn't need to do much tonight. I get it, but we're talking on an efficiency basis. And, like, how many more games do we need to see Jared Goff just give us absolutely nothing? I mean, just ignoring the scoreboard, this has been a terrible stretch here from Goff ever since that Miami game in Week 8. I mean, okay, he comes back and beats the Seahawks, but, you know, we see against the Buccaneers two picks, against the 49ers two picks. He got the win over Tampa Bay. Again, the Rams are 9-4 and four now. They're playing winning football, so it's hard to peg Goff, you know, too much here. But it's just pretty clear at this point that he is not the big reason uh, behind a lot of these wins. I mean, hey, he's when he's able to play ball control football, particularly like he did against the Cardinals in Week 13, that's fine. Jared Goff is a great quarterback when he's, you know, when things work out on the field exactly the way they're working out in Sean McVay's mind. The problem is we just don't really see much of any evidence and haven't all really throughout his career of him able to do anything once the original play design breaks down. So it's Patriots defense. They've been playing better. And, you know, the Rams were able to still put up, uh, let's see, 17 total points on offense. You know, credit to Cam Akers for balling out. But again, just was not a good performance by Goff, even though he got the win. So, uh, you know, Higby had 34 yards. Cup had 33. Robert Woods had 32. Nobody over 50 receiving yards in this game. Talk about a Thursday night disaster. I mean, the fact they took away Jaguars Titans from Thursday night for this just makes me sick. But uh, Woods continue to lead the way with eight targets. I mentioned he had the drop, but again, he had, I think, I counted three passes out in the flat where he was just wide open and Goff just couldn't even put the ball uh, more than six inches off the ground. So Woods had to pretty much dive for it and ruin any chance of yak. So in recent weeks, we have seen both Woods and Cup just really involved. I mean, since week 10, even before this game, Woods was fourth in the entire league in targets. So, you know, both these guys, are they're going to continue to be these upside wide receiver twos moving forward in the fantasy playoffs. You know, we got the Jets in week 15 and the Seahawks in week 16. So it's unfortunate. I mean, Cup scored and you know, Woods didn't. I guess Woods gave us a, you know, decent dud in full PPR scoring, but not great. Just realized we're going right back in the ball with these guys in week 15 and week 16 against the Jets and Seahawks. That's going to about do it for this game period. Before we get on to the injuries, want to give a quick shout out to anyone that's going to Monkey Knife Fight because if you go to Monkey Knife Fight and put at least 20 bucks into their account while using promo code PFF, you receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. All right, everyone, I went through all the injury reports. Now, for those that don't know, we usually get a official Friday designation. So, you know, questionable and out. We get those pouring in uh, Friday afternoon up until about, you know, 6, 7 p.m. Eastern time, depending on when the West Coast teams get their stuff in. And then 90 minutes before kickoff on Sunday, we get the final, final designations for everyone that's listed as questionable or doubtful. So I've gone through and really just tried to look at situations where I think there actually is a chance of the person missing the game. So without further ado, let's get to it. Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins has not practiced all week with neck and back issues. He has played in the past, even after missing an entire week of practice. So a lot of guys we would be concerned about three consecutive DMPs. Looks like a situation where Nuke will be able to play through the pain. Look, the James Bradbury matchup is not great, but come on, guys. I and mean, we're not start, we're not we're not sitting at DeAndre Hopkins under absolutely any circumstances. You don't need me to tell you that. But just making sure, do not sit DeAndre Hopkins under any circumstances. Uh Kenyon Drake was limited on Thursday after being full on Wednesday with a hip injury. 
it's a little bit concerning. Keep an eye on Drake Friday's status because as long as he's okay, he is a mid-tier RB2 at worst, maybe even a borderline RB1 if active, guys. I mean, look, I am starting him ahead of guys like Miles Sanders, Ronald Jones, Devontae Booker, Wayne Gallman. Drake had four rushing touchdowns in weeks one through 10. He has four over the past three weeks. He had 12 targets in weeks one, uh, 11, or excuse me, 11 targets in weeks one through 10. He has 12 targets over the past three weeks. This is not an arbitrary split. This is the last three weeks after Kyler had the shoulder injury, he stopped running. When your quarterback doesn't run that much, that helps you get goal line carries and targets for your running back. That's what we're seeing with Kenyon Drake right now. And that's why we've seen a boom in his fantasy value. I know it's been tough sledding for Drake this year, guys. Still the PPR RB14 on the season. Now is not the time to give up on him as long as that hip injury is not a big issue. Hilo Jones has not practiced all week due to a hamstring injury. I think he's going to gut it out. I don't think there was like a new re-aggravation or anything. Again, he was dealing with this last week. He played through it because Julio is a freaking grown-ass man. Credit to him for being such a baller and always playing through the pain. Just realize if by some chance he does miss this game, we are going to see a worse version of Matt Ryan in his potential smash spot against the Chargers. So we heard from the coaches at the plan last week for Todd Gurley, who's you know been limited with this knee injury, uh, was third down red zone only. Interim coach Raheem Morris did come out and say he expects Gurley to have a bigger role. Guys, this is a desperate play, though. You are, I mean, I cannot even think of a more like touchdown dependent option than Todd Gurley uh, this week. Hey, I mean, Ito Smith, he's been limited with the neck injury. I guess if Ito is out too and we have only Gurley and Brian Hill, at that point, maybe we're putting Gurley in the top 30 backs, but really, please try to find someone else to play uh, ahead of Todd Gurley this week. I'm going to be answering the other guy in pretty much any start sick question involving Gurley. I will say though, I mean, this Falcons offense, do not sleep on this passing game. The Chargers since week four have allowed 38, 30, 29, 31, 31, 29, 28, 27, most recently 45 points to the New England Patriots. How did the Chargers lose 45 nothing to that Patriots team? Nobody may ever know. Unfortunate news out of Panthers camp. Christian McCaffrey limited on Wednesday, downgraded to a DMP on Thursday, and not expected to play per head coach Matt Rule. Been dealing with the shoulder injury, also now got a quad issue. Would also note that DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are both on the COVID list at the moment. They got put on the COVID list Monday. We don't know if they tested positive or if they were just a close contact with someone. So we will see, you know, if they're both out. Okay, Robbie Anderson's going to have, you know, a lot uh, higher target share potential if they're both in. This is where things get a little bit tricky because Mike Davis has not been having the same sort of, you know, just workhorse, pretty much CMC 2.0 role in recent weeks. In week 12, he played 58% of the offensive snaps, 15 carries, four targets. That's a solid mid-tier RB2, uh, you know, workload, particularly in an offense like Carolina that is, you know, solid enough. We're not talking about the Jets or anything uh, here. I understand they're not a juggernaut by any stretch, but a solid enough offense. If we don't have Curtis Samuel in a situation, that could be an extra three or four carries for Mike Davis, considering the way they usually use Curtis uh, for at least a hand full of snaps in the backfield every game. DJ Moore, I think not having him would just be more of a detriment to the entire offense because of kind of the stress he can put on defenses down the field. But again, that is more potential opportunity for the likes of Davis and, uh, you know, Robbie Anderson. So look, Mike Davis is good. I mean, prior to week 13, he joined Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry as the only guys with at least 50 forced missed tackles on the season. The dude can freaking juke uh, pretty much any defender out of their shoes. We are just chasing the opportunity and he has it. Like he, again, he's a legit RB2 this week. Just realized we're really feeling good if Curtis Samuel stays on the COVID list. Obviously, hope Curtis and DJ Moore are just fine. 
with the Lions. So this DeAndre Swift situation is so weird. He's been limited this week with an illness. And by the way, Kenny Galladay's, you know, looking like he's going to be out again with the hip injury. But focusing on Swift, I mean, last week, interim head coach uh, Daryl Bevel said Swift would have a small package of plays if active. We've had Adrian Peterson say that Swift just hasn't been himself and been in a weird funk since getting a concussion. Like, he's cleared the concussion protocol. It's just this weird illness thing that apparently is not COVID, but it's severe enough, whatever it is, or if it's, you know, side effects of that concussion, I hope not. But whatever it is, we're at the point where the coaching staff has already said last week that if he was going to be active, it was going to be a small package of plays. I don't think we can go back to him with any confidence in the fantasy playoffs having that feature role that he so briefly had before his concussion. I think with or without Swift in the lineup, we're probably going to see Adrian Peterson getting 15-plus touches versus bottom three defense and PPR points allowed per game to the position. So, you know, AP obviously going to be a much steadier play if Swift is ruled out. But, you know, even if Swift is active, I'm not feeling confident enough about his health and really his role in this offense to uh, start him with any sort of confidence here in the fantasy playoffs. I would note that Marvin Jones is someone that you should feel fairly confident about if Kenny Galladay stays sidelined. Since week 10, here are the only wide receivers with more targets than, uh, Ken- than Marvin Jones. Deontay Johnson, Keenan Allen, Robert Woods, and Devontae Adams. I mean, he is getting fed in Detroit, and you know that his stat lines over the past few weeks could even be bigger if he didn't have a 50-yard touchdown nullified on a pretty, pretty shoddy illegal formation penalty. I, you know, I've heard complaints about you know referencing the touchdowns that like get wiped out by a penalty, but. Ticky-tack illegal formation penalty. Okay, I think we can all agree that that's something that shouldn't necessarily be held against the guy when looking back at their past matches. I get it when it's a hold and you know, the touchdown never would have happened uh, regardless, but this wasn't one of those situations. Uh, for those concerned about the potential for Jair Alexander to shadow Marvin Jones, Jair hasn't shadowed since week seven. You know, it's been kind of an up and down thing during his time with Green Bay's when they use him, they kind of go on stretches with it. Literally, they haven't. That doesn't mean they can't, you know, turn around and do it, but uh, I am not really concerned about the matchup. I think Marvin Jones with that volume is, you know, he's a guy that can kind of win contested catch situations anyway. Obviously, we don't want Jair on if we can avoid it, but uh, either way, Marvin Jones is going to be a top 30 option at the position this week. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is practicing in full ahead of this matchup against the Dolphins. He had the illness last week and was emergency active only. Look, I have Clyde as the RB27. I have him behind guys like Giovanni Bernard, Kareem Hunt, Mostert, McKissick. I had Cam Akers, you know, ahead of him. Like, the scoring upside is great. We're just not seeing the touches. So, hey, maybe they reverse course this week. You know, the Chiefs, they didn't pass in their hearts out lately. I mean, Dolphins are 28th-ranked defense and fewest yards before contact allowed per rush. It makes sense if they lean on the run a little bit more. Really tough to feel too confident about because I do think we're going to continue to see Le'Veon and and Daryl Williams involved to some extent. Again, tough to trust uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I thought he'd have Alicia May in the RB2 range, but man, I do have him as more of an upside RB3, if anything, this week. If he somehow remains out, we can't really trust Le'Veon or Daryl Williams. Last week, it was 52% snaps for Le'Veon, 48% for Williams. Uh, unfortunately, Le'Veon hasn't really carved out that pass uh, down roll like we thought he might, but yeah, I can't really trust either of these backup Chiefs running backs at this point. Josh Jacobs was able to get back to a limited practice on Thursday after not practicing Wednesday with his hip injury. Appears he has a chance to play. If not, it's going to be the Devontae Booker show. So he only played 43% of the snaps last week. We had Theo Riddick and Jalen Richard also involved, but 16 of 23 carries and two of the four targets. Look, like Richard and Riddick are not like these backs that can actually step in and take away more of these carries and moving forward. Maybe they get a higher percentage of the targets, but man, Booker is going to be looking at 15 plus carries and at least, you know, a few targets. And that's just, it's a hard role to have that and not call the person an RB2. So he's going to be on the lower end. I know he dudded last week. And this is not an easy matchup, you know, against uh, DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard and this Colts front seven, but he's going to be a volume-based low-end RB2. You know, don't let, don't let one week just, uh, you know, really cloud your uh, judgment here with the volume. Again, we're chasing volume and hoping for the best to happen. Uh, guy 
guys like Boston Scott, guys like Duke Johnson, you know, even someone like Chase Evans. I go right back to the well with him, even though he had the bad uh, first game. Because again, if the volume's there, we were chasing it. We can't just let a one game sample where the efficiency wasn't great cloud our entire judgment of a player. With the Vikings, Irv Smith back practicing in limited fashion with his groin injury. Kyle Rudolph, however, now has a foot injury and hasn't been practicing all week. Look, I mean, Rudolph had the goose egg last week, but previously he'd been giving us some low-end tight end one value. Irv actually has a higher ceiling, I think, at this point. I mean, we're talking about one of the best, you know, quote-unquote backup tight ends in the league. Six foot two, 242 pounds, 4.63 speed. They've been using Irv like as a legit wide receiver for stretches of this year. He has legit tight end one, uh, you know, upside if Kyle Rudolph is ultimately sidelined. He's someone I'd be willing to act stream so you know tight end position has been a mess all year long let me try to pull up my ranks real quick to see exactly where i would put irv smith if uh, rudolph is in fact ruled out because it'd be huge when, you know if we see these situations seattle houston uh philly even to some extent now like these teams have multiple tight ends where if one guy goes out then we can really fire him up but yeah looking at where i'd put irv smith you know i think i'd put him Honestly, tight end 10. I put Irv Smith at tight end 10 behind Gronk, behind Ebron, behind uh, Tony and behind Hunter Henry, ahead of guys like Mike Jasicki, Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, Logan Thomas. So I think this Vikings passing game has a chance to really take off this week. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers sell out against the run, which, I mean, look, Dalvin Cook, no, dude, he is never leaving your RB1 spot unless you want to send a message to your team. Like, look, he is locked in beyond locked in. There's no doubt about that. But Tampa Bay might make it tough enough to for force Kirk Cousins to pass more, and I do not feel confident in the Buccaneers secondary slowing these guys down. So Irv Smith, legit top 10 tight end if Kyle Rudolph is ultimately ruled out. Daniel Jones has been limited in practice with his hamstring injury and is on track to play against the Cardinals. So I do not think Daniel Jones is a realistic option this week. He is so dependent on his rushing. And I'm not convinced that two weeks off a hamstring injury, he's going to be anything like the guy we saw. We could see a you know super run first game plan similar to what Cole McCoy was doing last week against the Seahawks. Like Just realize, going into week 13, so I'm not penalizing him for the game he missed last week. Going into last week, Jones was 24th in fantasy points per game from just passing. Guys like Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, even Gardner Minshew, all these guys have more fantasy points per game from passing than Daniel Jones this year. Like, truly brutal through the air. He's been throwing a nice deep ball, but it's just, you know, it's an issue with volume. It's an issue with the Giants' offensive line. Only the Jets and the Giants have allowed a pressure rate of over 40% this year. So, you know, Jones, you know, PFF has, you know, half-jokingly, half-seriously called him the best uh, quarterback in the NFC East this year. Uh, You know, obviously in the post-Dak era, you know, not trying to start any fights out here. But, uh, you know, if you just look at it, though, I think so much of his fantasy uh, value is tied to his legs that and if we have any sort of threat of him not being that same guy as a rusher, which, hey, he's coming off a hamstring injury, uh, I do not think we can play him in this spot. Quick shout out to our sponsor, or excuse me, eh, yeah, kind of. Subscribe to PFS Elite annual subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. This is a limited time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl, which is on February 7, 2020. This offer also only applies to first-time Elite annual subscribers. So that's PFS Elite annual subscription, promo code ACTION. You get a year of Elite subscription access and one year of Action Pro subscription for just one. 99.99. Last few injuries to go through, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast as always. So with the Jets, Denzel Mims has been ruled out for personal. He has a family matter to attend to, and because of the COVID uh, testing situation, he's not going to be able to be out there. So Bashad Perryman is limited with an ankle. Jameson Crowder just popped up midweek with a calf injury. So we don't quite know. They're facing the Seahawks. You know, Crowder got back on track last week with two scores, but look, it's now been nine weeks since this dude surpassed 50 yards in a game, and we are not getting, you know, the 
10 plus targets we were seeing earlier in the year. So Crowder, he's a you know lower end wide receiver three, but this is not like earlier in the year when we just kept calling him a wide receiver three, no matter how many games, you know, how many how many targets he was putting up. I thought we were pretty good about adjusting the Crowder as he was getting, you know, 10, 12 targets per week. That's not the reality right now. Truly treat him as, you know, a top 35, top 36 option, not someone that you should be actively looking to plug in the lineup. I know the matchup is great, but, you know, it's the freaking Jets, people. Darnold has been held under 230 passing yards in every game this year. And the Seahawks, as bad as their secondary was, and look, I understand Jamal. Adams is you know nowhere near the type of coverage safety he needs to be, but he's got seven and a half sacks this year. They've actually kind of turned things around on defense, at least in easy matchups against the pass. I mean, the Eagles only threw for 180 yards against the Seahawks. The Giants only threw for 100. I mean, look, the Jets have the 32nd ranked scoring offense. Do not play anybody involved if you do not have to. Next matchup here, or that's next uh, player. Chase Claypool did not practice on Thursday with an illness. I think he'll be fine. It's not supposed to be COVID-related, but I would just know with Claypool, I've already gotten some start, start sit questions with him. It's going to have to be a sit from me in most situations, guys. He played 44% snaps last week. James Washington was at 54%. We know Deontay Johnson is going to be there. Look, he leads the league and drops. Doesn't matter. He's caught at least six passes in every non-injury shortened game this year. And, you know, the Bills, they've been far stronger and again, I don't think it helps Juju Smith-Schuster uh, necessarily. All right, let me regroup here. Claypool, not looking good. He's playing behind James Washington. Deontay Johnson, target hog. He's looking good. Last guy I want to touch on, Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't think this is a great spot for him either. Deontay is really the one Steelers wide receiver I want to start with confidence this week because the Bills, they've actually only allowed the 11th most yards per attempt against the slot, 27th yards per attempt on the outside. So, got a lot of, a lot of Steelers wide receivers getting my mind in the pretzel there briefly. Apologies. I know there's a volume to go around, but James Conner coming back. Bills defense that we've seen, you know, play the Chiefs, just their team's to run at some point. I do think this could be a week that we see Rossberger and company take their foot off the gas in the passing game just a little bit because they might not have to. With the 49ers, Debo Samuel not didn't practice on Wednesday, but he got up to a limited on Thursday dealing with a foot injury. Should be good to go. So I have Brandon Ayuk ranked 30th and Debo Samuel 31 this week. Both are solid wide receiver three options. Credit to Ayuk, though. 100-plus yards and or a touchdown in five consecutive games. Uh, you know, only the Rams are better in PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers in the football team. So Washington, you know, truly not a kick matchup by any stretch of the imagination. But I think Ayuk's playing well enough to, you know, continue to warrant pretty much uh, weekly starting treatment. And Debo Samuel, like, Similar to Robert Woods, even if it didn't exactly turn out this night, it didn't turn out the way he wanted to tonight. I mean, the nature of his targets is just such that I don't know if a tough defense like Washington can really do much about it. Debo Samuel has 401 yards after the catch this season. He only has 391 receiving yards. They pretty much use him like a running back in the passing game. I think he's capable of more. I think it's, you know, partly a factor of just the state of this 49ers offense in terms of what they're able to do, uh, you know, under center. But either way, you know, just to, again, the nature of Debo's targets, I'm not worried about matchups with him as much as I would be somewhere else. With the Buccaneers, Mike Evans was limited on Wednesday. It did not practice on Thursday with his hamstring injury. This is coming off the bye, so it's particularly concerning. Looks in four games since they added AB, Evans has been in number one with 34 targets. It's been close, though. Chris Goblin's at 30, AB 29, Gronk 22, Fournette 16, Bray 13, Rojo 9, and a couple other guys underneath that. So if Evans is sidelined, we're obviously going to see boosts from AB and Goblin, and also Gronk, because you look at Evans. I mean, anytime they get down inside a 10 yard line, Bray's obviously looking his direction first. So I really think Gronk could actually maybe get the biggest boost because Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, you know, these are guys that Brady has been fine thrown to throughout the year. I don't think either one of them are necessarily going to jump into a full-time role. I think we see some sort of a rotation. 
even some more uh, two tight end stuff because Edmonds has been spending a bunch of his time in the slot in recent weeks. So, you know, normally I think we'd feel good about firing up Scotty Miller, but I don't know. Like, all these guys play really all around the formation. I don't think it's going to be a situation where we see a one-for-one substitution. Obviously, nobody else on this roster can really replicate what Evans can do, uh, you know, with his size and ability in the red zone. So don't really expect one guy to be a pigeonhole in that role. It's hard enough to project what backup running backs are going to do when they're thrust into a starting role. A million times harder with the wide receivers. I would not mess around with these complimentary options other than, you know, as just dart throws in DFS land. Because this could be a high-scoring game from both sides. I think it will be. Uh, but again, just not enough confidence in Miller and Johnson. AB and Goblin would both be top 20 options at the position, though, if Evans is ultimately sidelined. A.J. Brown, not practicing all week with an ankle and hip injury, but John Smith should be good to go after practicing in full on Wednesday and Thursday after missing last week with the ankle injury. So, look, A.J. B. even playing banged up all year long. He missed some games earlier with the knee. Now he's had ankle and hip issues over the past few weeks. Still the wide receiver 12 on the season in PPR points per game. Someone asked me, like, what is the AJB wide receiver one whole nickname thing? Guys, you know, if you're a wide receiver one, 12 team league, that's, you know, one of the base ones, you need to be a top 12 wide receiver. AJ Brown is a top 12 wide receiver in PPR points per game, thus AJB wide receiver one season. Fingers crossed, we don't see a, you know, back step against the Jaguars. I do not want to have to type out AJB wide receiver two season. That does not roll off the tongue nearly as well, but I am not expecting that drop off here. Jaguars are the single worst defense in the league in yards per attempt, dirty and pressure rate, fire up. Up AJB and Mr. Corey Davis as high-end fantasy assets. Credit to Corey Davis, guys. Only Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson have more yards per out run this year. We got Adam Humphreys out with a concussion for for at least the next two or three weeks. Start both Corey Davis and AJ Brown with confidence in the fantasy football playoffs and beyond if you're into some playoff DFS action. I don't think John Smith is someone we can actually fire up with too much confidence this week. So that's a problem. He's had 40 or fewer yards every single game since week five. And you look at last week, I mean, Jeff Swain, Mecole Pruitt, Anthony Ferkser, all these guys played between 40 and 55% snaps. I'm assuming John who goes back and is the lead guy again. But either way, I mean, just watch one Titans game and you're, you know, anytime they throw it to a tight end, you are not going to know uh, which one it's going to be if you had to guess. So tough look for, you know, John who he's one of the more athletic freaks at the position in the entire league. We've just seen much more of his passing game go through AJB and Corey Davis in 2020. Last one, Antonio Gibson has not practiced all week with a toe injury and not expecting to play. Do not play Peyton Barber, people. Maybe I get burned on some just random goal line touchdowns, but you know, this 49ers defense, okay, we've seen, you know, the Bills and we've seen some better offenses really take it to them, but still anyone's idea of a well-coached team, like do you really just want to bet on the Washington football team who, hey, great win against the Steelers, but this is not an offensive juggernaut. This is not a team we should be targeting an early down back hoping for scoring potential. Central, all right. 68 running backs have at least 50 carries this year. Peyton Barber ranks 68th in yards per carry, yards after contact per rush, and missed tackles force per carry. He's been awful. He's been objectively awful at playing running back this year. I do not want to play objectively awful running backs and anything resembling a kind of a tough matchup. And that's what the, the what's what the Washington football team has on their hands this week. With that said, J.D. McKissick barely plays running back. He's more or less a slot receiver in terms of just his overall target usage. And the Washington football team have thrown him more targets in the slot or out wide than any other running back in the league this season. So McKissick. 
He's someone, you know, I talked about Debo Samuel having the type of workload that can just make him more immune to tough matchups. J.D. McKissick is the exact same way. So high floor and underrated ceiling. I mean, there was a spot last week, I think when Barber did score a touchdown, like they gave McKissick the carry at like the three-yard line before they got inside the one. So I don't even think the football team necessarily doesn't trust McKissick to run between the tackles. After all, it was, what, two weeks ago that Ron Rivera compared uh, J.D. McKissick to Christian freaking McCaffrey. So I do think that if we see Barber continue to really not get anything going, hell, they might just try with McKissick the rest of the way. So he was already at a 70% plus snap uh, rate last week. J.D. McKissick needs to be in fantasy football lineups this week in any sort of format that rewards a full point per reception. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, brand new shows every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Best of luck in the fantasy football playoffs, everybody. Go get it. Feel free to shoot me uh, some start sick questions. I try to get to as many as possible, and usually Sunday morning, I'll do a quick 30 minutes and just shoot off as many answers as possible. So rooting for all of you. Thank you for listening, and until next time, take care, everybody. 